invite you to stand one more time as we read our text. Our final passage from Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We know one day, Father, that because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, as Philippians chapter 2 says, that every knee will bow those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, every living creature will bow the knee. I am thankful that we have the privilege, we who have been called and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the world, that we are already in a position as true believers that we can and do and should bow the knee. Not just the knee of Literally, sometimes physically, that may be what you call us to do, but there are times that it's what is in our heart and what is in our mind, and we need to bow our will to yours. As the model prayer says, may your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven. We're thankful for those who are here this morning, and we pray that there would be no distractions inside or out as, as we focus our hearts and our minds on the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ one more time from Revelation chapter 5. Lord, I thank you for the hymns that were sung and for the attentiveness of each heart, and I pray that this would continue. We also pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are in these far-flung, two completely different countries, the island country of Fiji and then the country of Finland in the northern part of the Baltic states, uh, uh, bordering up against Russia. What a, what a terrible history that they have had of war down through the years, but there are still true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as we looked at last week from Revelation 5, 9, and 10, there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So I pray, Father, that the, that, that the inserts that are placed in the bulletin each week by Sister Pat and then the, the, the mission moments that we have, that we would be reminded that your word says that there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people. So we should be praying for these countries that you would enlighten them even in countries maybe that we have long considered in this country to be our enemy the muslim countries or places behind the former iron curtain 
your grace does and can and will extend to these nations and people in these nations. One day with one voice, we will sing. We will bow the knee. We will worship the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. So allow us to do so in the time that we have left this morning before us. May we be faithful to the word of God, the proclamation of your truth. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Some of the passages that we have already looked at in Revelation, particularly in chapter 2 and chapter 3, have not been easy for us to deal with. Sometimes we can read the passages, either we try to avoid Revelation because it is the apocalypsis, it, is the, it deals with the apocalypse, what is to come, and, and maybe it scares you as far as what might happen, and we try to discern these things, and maybe you read books, and, and there are a number of different authors who have read or who have written about different uh, views that they may have, but many of those views, unfortunately, do not point to the Lord Jesus Christ, it points to the sensationalism that comes when we look at the events that take place around us. We've been talking in the Sunday School lesson, Brother Al was sharing with us the different, uh, the different empires, and it's interesting. I learned some new things this morning that I didn't remember from history or didn't remember studying. The Babylonian Empire lasted approximately 100 years, and then the Medes and Persians was 200. The Grecian Empire was 300 years, and then... Rome was a little over 400 years before it finally imploded. But every one of these nations, God brought these nations together. He raised them up for a specific purpose. And as Brother Al rightly put this morning in the class, it was for the reason why we have these world powers is for the purposes of him taking care of his people. So we have him taking care of the children of Israel. Now, of course, we, are enter- we have entered into the New Testament age and we find from the writing of Paul that there is something that has never existed before and it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his bride. And down through history, whether you pull it from, uh, whether you pull it from the, the book of Zechariah or whether you pull it from uh, Daniel or Joel chapter 2 or you get into the New Testament and you deal with Romans chapter 9 through 11, you can go back into the Old Testament and look at Isaiah 64 to 66, uh, the, the last four chapters of Jeremiah or Ezekiel. It all points to one thing. God protects those who belong to him. So this morning, my, my intent and my desire is to be able to have a, a message maybe that is a little bit more encouraging as we conclude this section and as we sing with these beings, the four living beings, the, the, the 24 elders that are representative of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the myriads and myriads of angels singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, before we get further into the introduction, though, I want to remind you that there are times that as we look at the scriptures, sometimes it's easy to see black and white, or if you're reading in the Gospels, you may find some red letter, uh, red letters that are found there, but it's almost like it's way out there in the distance. It's not something that we're actually living. It's not something that is vibrant to us in our life. 
But as we read Revelation, the more I read the book of Revelation, the more I see the things that are going on or that might or that will be coming because God is a God of promise and what he promises is going to come true. I am excited to know that despite what happens today, despite what happens tomorrow, despite the struggles you and I may have, even yet this afternoon, God is still in control and he's still coming back for his own. That is encouraging. So we, that means essentially that you can put your head on your pillow no matter what happens, you can put your head on your pillow knowing that even if you do not take another breath in this life and you wake up tomorrow morning in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your future is in his hands. That is a wonderful truth. And it doesn't matter, who, who was it? Oh, Brother Al, it was you in Sunday school. Sorry, I'm going to use you a lot this morning. But as Brother Al mentioned, sometimes we don't like the Nebuchadnezzars that God raises up in our life to rule our countries. Does that mean that somehow God got caught off guard? Because we didn't get our prayers answered or because somebody else got their prayers answered or because of whatever it may be? No, God is still in control. And I can assure you, I'll just, I'll just make a prediction right now that on November the 6th, are you ready for this? This is as political as I get. But on November the 6th, in the morning, the sun is still going to come up and God's still going to be in charge. No matter what. That is something we can rest on. We can rest secure in Him. But we talk about the sun shining. Do you know that the sun always shines? I know some of you might have missed that class, you know, in high school or in junior high, but the sun always shines. This is, science was never, my girls have talked with me and they have asked me, well, can I help them with their science? I have never liked science. It's a subject that I just did not excel at in any way. But I have learned, and I do remember from class, that the sun always shines. The problem is that we just can't always see it. There are times that although 93 million miles away that the sun seems to still be so very close and yet at other times so very far away. At times we may only see darkness because it is shining on the far side of our little planet but it's still shining. Sometimes you and I may wake up to clouds or rainy drizzle. In the winter time, the dreary days can fill us with gloom or despair. We wonder if we will ever see the sun again. When we lived in England, the higher you go in the elevation, some of you have lived in Alaska. Where are you at? I saw a couple of you. There we go. Back there, some of you have lived in Alaska, and you know what it's like for the sun not to come up until, when, when was it in Alaska? Where you were, 10 o'clock in the morning? And then during the wintertime, and then it would be gone by 2.30 or 3 o'clock. When we were in Iceland, the sun went and just made a little bit of a blip across the horizon during the deep winter and it would be almost 24 hours of darkness and then during the summer it would be light all the time. It's very difficult for people to get used to. In fact, in Scandinavian countries in particular, even in places like northern Canada, Depression is actually something that people have to struggle with on a constant basis because they don't see the sun during the winter. Do you know that it is during the winter time that death rates actually go up? 
In fact, they go up substantially, with January statistically being the worst for at least the last 40 plus years here in America. So I want to ask you a question. Do you feel overwhelmed when you don't see the sun? Do you struggle? Do you have depression? Are you discouraged? Maybe it's a little bit closer to home than that. Maybe it's not just that you have sundowners. Maybe the problem is that you're overwhelmed with the daily grind of life. You ever been there? I have. This morning you may be here and you may think that you're in the winter of your life. You may wonder metaphorically or emotionally if if or when you will ever see the sun again. If our eyes, though, are turned to the flimsy whims of this world and not to Christ, then we will also struggle to see the sun, the S-O-N, spiritually. There will be times in your life because of sin or whatever is taking place that you may wonder whether you'll ever see it. Have you ever prayed, and this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever prayed and it just felt like your prayers didn't even make it to the ceiling? Our recovery during these times of discouragement cannot be based on our emotions. It can't be based on your feelings. It must come from the knowledge that is only found in Scripture. When somebody comes and they're struggling with a particular area, and we have mentioned this before, and they say, will you pray for me? I say, no, I will pray with you because you have just as much right to be able to go before the throne of God. If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not only a child of God, you are a priest of the Most High God. You are a king. But as we seek to understand these last few verses, I want us to see three more points this morning about the Lamb. But overarching all of this, I want you to remember that the victory has already been won. When Paul wrote to the beleaguered Roman believers, I'm certain there were times that they thought that the world had piled on them. Think about whatever it is that you may have been worried about this last week. But I don't think anybody here has worried about whether or where your next meal might come from. Like some of our brothers and sisters around the world do. Can you imagine where the the things that you worry about are wondering whether you'll feel much pain or little pain when you're fed to the lions tomorrow at the next bloodthirsty Coliseum Games? You see, that's what Christians in the first century were had to prepare for. And yet Paul writes to them, and in the middle of his beautiful epistle, the book of Romans in chapter 8, listen to what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time... Now remember, he's writing to believers who are seeing this thing take place. He's writing to believers who are watching their husbands, their wives, their children, their grandchildren, their parents and their grandparents being fed to the lions every week in the games. Why? Not because they hated Caesar, simply because they named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they would refuse to say that Caesar is Lord. 
But he tells them, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who uh, who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation... Verse 23, but we ourselves, we who are true believers, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul concludes by saying this, for in this hope we are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul is telling the believers in Rome, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. First Corinthians tells us and Second Corinthians tells us of all the struggles that Paul had in his life. But again, when we come and we read worthy is the lamb, we might in our human understanding, our frail human understanding, God, do you not understand? Do you not see what's going on? Do you not see the problems that are taking place? John in his vision is allowed to see the end though. His mind and his heart are are filled with hope for what could not be seen with the human eye. Think about it. You folks got up this morning, you got dressed, Maybe you're in your right mind. I don't know. I hope so. And you come to service. You sing the songs. We pray. And to those who might be coming in from the outside for somebody who is pagan or heathen and they come and they walk in and they were to look and see what we're doing, they might think, what are those weird people doing? Do they really believe what they say they believe? John certainly did. The Apostle Paul certainly did. And when we stand, whether it's here in the pulpit or whether it's teaching a Sunday school class or whether it's the young people's class downstairs for the junior church or whether we're standing up at a funeral and having a memorial of life service, there is only one hope that we can present and it is Jesus Christ. This is our hope. But the horror that John is about to see, I'm sure that would have been overwhelming. I mean, imagine somebody who's living in a cave on the Isle of Patmos during the week, six days a week, maybe even six and a half days, he's breaking rocks. This man who is in in his mid to upper 90s. And then he has this vision which has never been seen before. I can't imagine how he must have felt. It must have been pretty discouraging. But despite the horror that he sees, he knows here at the end of chapter 5 that the one who is seated on the throne, 
The one who stands or the one who is seated on the throne is God the Father. The one who is standing in the midst of the throne, the one who is there between the elders, the representatives of the church and the throne of God the Father is the lamb. Not just any lamb though, but the victorious lamb. And as we see this massive event unfold in heaven, earth cannot begin to comprehend the enormity of all that has taken place. All that will take place. But the Lamb is the only worthy one in this picture as all creation sings. You see, firstly, in verse 11, the congregation of the Lamb. In your notes, the congregation of the Lamb. Now, I know some of you may be tired of hearing about this, but I'm going to use this as an illustration. If you have been watching any of the events that have been taking place in the United Kingdom, you will know that the wait time currently to be able to see the, the, the coffin or the casket of the, queen, the coffin of the Queen of England is 24 hours standing in line, one step at a time, walking. They said at its, at the, at its most or at its largest crowd, the, 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 the line to be able to go and see in Westminster Hall was over nine miles in length. This is a big event. This is thousands of people who have gathered together to be able to see this and to be able to see the coffin of somebody who is dead. The Bible tells us that there will be an unknown number of people who will be in heaven And we will not be standing up there to see somebody who is dead. We will be up there to see him who ever lives. Well, does one commentator note on this throng? The the doxology thus begun by the church is carried on by the angels. They take the second part in conjunction with the church in verse 11. They are said to be an innumerable number, to be the attendants on the throne of God and the guardians to the church. Though they did not need a savior themselves, yet they rejoice in the redemption and salvation of sinners. Do you remember Luke chapter 11? There is joy in the very presence of the angels over every sinner that repents. And yet they agree with the church in acknowledging the infinite merits of the Lord Jesus as dying for sinners, that he is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. John uses a couple of words here. I looked and I heard, and it properly means to stare at. Having already seen the glory of God the Father and the Lamb standing before the throne, he finds himself himself staring at this doxology that is unfurling before him like a banner being waved over a field of battle. Anybody here ever sung the doxology? You know the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. I believe it's hymn number 253 in your handbook. But John doesn't only see, he hears. And here the word means to hear immediately and to perceive by the ear what is being announced in a person's presence. John knows he is hearing the greatest hymn of earth's history. Every sense 
every one of his senses seems to be on edge as he has the privilege of listening. You know, this is one of the things that I've tried to encourage you since I became pastor almost a couple of years ago now. And that is in our prayer time. When, when you're lifting up your voice, it's not for my benefit. I don't care whether you sound like me or whether you sound like somebody else. You have the privilege of going before the throne of God and being who you are. We simply get the privilege of being able to listen in. Can you imagine what John must have felt like as he's listening to this ambient song? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Wait a minute. John? You mean John the beloved apostle, John? Yes. You mean John the one who was at the Last Supper? That John? Yes. You mean the John that stood at the foot of the cross watching Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, die? Yes, that John. Do you mean the John that Jesus from the cross says, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Yes, that John. What, wait a minute. Do, do you mean the John that didn't just see Jesus die on the cross and watch him take his last breath? Do you mean the John that went with Peter as they ran to the tomb? looking in heard the angels say he's not here he's risen yes that John but John is still in his earthly body he's still struggling he still struggles with sin but he hears something that is far beyond him this voice that continues to build is we find the word here for voice refers to the jubilant voices of those singing the praises of Christ. Who else are we going to sing about? We're not going to be singing about our own testimony. We're going to be singing about him. And then John concludes and he says, myriads of myriads, the, the Greek word here, myrioi, which means 10,000. It was the highest number that the Greeks had. And John is telling the reader that the number of those around the throne cannot be counted. Listen, for those of you who believe you have the gift of evangelism, for those who are called to evangelize, it is not ours to know which one is, which one won't. It is simply to tell the truth, to tell the gospel story. God is the one that takes the count, not us. Amen? The number of those who are redeemed and, and those who are angels known only to God, and here's the application. When we cross from death into life, we will hear what John heard. We will see in amazement. We will see what he saw and we will be amazed. As one pastor said from many years ago, I think it was two or three hundred years ago, he commented and said, there are things that are going to surprise me when I get to heaven. Number one, I'm going to be surprised because there are going to be some people that I thought who weren't going to be there who will. There are going to be some that I did or I thought would be there and they're not going to be there. In response to Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus said, there are many who call Lord, Lord, but I don't know them. I don't have a personal relationship with them. 
And he said the third thing that's going to surprise me is that I'm there. What a joy will be ours when we know or that we can know that we are among the redeemed. This is the promise of God's word. So that you may know, as John writes in 1 John, you may know that you may have eternal life. Not a guess, not a hope so, but that you can know. Secondly, we come to the crowning of the Lamb in verse 12. The Lamb who was slain. When a dictator is overthrown, their lives are almost always forfeit for their wicked deeds. For example, if we were to talk about Nicolae Ceausescu of Romania, or Benito Mussolini in World War II, some, some of you who are, are history followers, you will know what happened to them. And yet when the lamb was slain, it wasn't due to any fault of his own, for he was without sin. He became sin though and suffered the wrath of the Father so that all who would come to Christ would not ever have to be condemned. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a legal term and it frees us from the penalty of sin. Somebody has to pay the penalty for your sin and either Christ did it for you on your behalf or you will suffer for all of eternity paying the price that you can never pay. John says here in verse 12, he says that this, this cry that goes up in verse 12, they're saying with a loud voice, the two Greek words here you would recognize as mega and phone or megaphone. But the word actually means natural events that powerfully affect the senses. For example, if, if, you go to, uh, if you go to a football game, Brother Mickey and I, we were talking this week, and uh, he likes following football a lot more so than I do. And I'm sure that if he gets to go to a, do you get to go to a Wyoming game at all? Not yet. You haven't been to a Wyoming, but you have in the past? Nope. nope? Wow, okay. I have to make sure that guy gets to go sometime. Uh, anybody here ever been to a Broncos game? Okay, several of you have been to a Broncos game. I'm sure the atmosphere kind of looks like this. Yay, go team. <laughs> Get a touchdown. Do you think that's what it looks like? No. People are yelling, they are screaming themselves hoarse. And this is what he is saying. This is a, an event that is going to affect every one of your senses. The lamb who was slain, he is worthy to receive, to receive what is given. Christ alone will rightly receive all that is given to him by the Father. And here he mentions a few things that he will receive. Power, this refers to the kingly power of the Messiah. It belongs to him. He was prophet, priest, and king. Nobody else could have been that. To receive wealth, the fullness and abundance attributed to Christ who is exalted at the right hand of God. Let me give you a little bit of an idea when Queen Elizabeth just passed away, her grandson, who now is the Prince of Wales, inherited a block of land in the UK and is now worth over $1 billion. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He was just born a prince. 
The Lord Jesus Christ owns this world, regardless of what the world wants you to believe, regardless of what the evil one wants you to believe. Christ owns everything. This world, this is my Father's world. We find he is given great wisdom. This is supreme intelligence that is attributed to Christ. We were talking about wisdom this morning in the class and, and how Daniel had great wisdom in being able to decipher the dream. And I, I couldn't help but chuckle to myself as I'm thinking, as Daniel comes before the king in, in chapter 2 of Daniel and he says, this is the dream. I wonder what the other wise men must have thought. Lucky guess. No, it wasn't a lucky guess. Daniel knew because God revealed it to him. The beginning uh, the big, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm slipping. Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, there was a difference between Daniel and all the other wise men. Daniel feared God. The might, the ability, the force, the strength to be able to hold things in check. I, I like reading World War II history. It's one of my favorite times of history that I, re that I like reading about when I get a chance to read. And some of the battles that took place could have swung either way. Could have swung to the Allies or could have swung to the Nazi side, Nazi Germany. And yet it was the ability and the strength of the generals who kept those things in check. Again, we are reminded by this hymn that is being sung before the Lord that God is the one that holds all things in check. The honor that belongs to him. This belongs to one who outranks all others. Again, we talk about preeminence. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus Christ is preeminent. And here I would simply remind you that he does not say that he is prominent, but that he is preeminent because there is a big difference between the two. To be prominent is to be one among many. To be preeminent is to be one and one only. Glory is given to him. This kingly majesty that belongs to the supreme ruler. It is this word that we have our doxology from. The words known as the doxology were actually composed by Reverend Thomas Ken, a cleric under King Charles II in the late 1600s. It is said that King Charles would say, or it was said that, 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 that Pastor Ken was so courageous, Thomas Ken, in his preaching at court that the king would often go and say on his way to chapel, quote, I must go and hear Pastor Ken tell me my faults. And it was this man who God used to write the doxology. That brings us to the benediction or the blessing this is a public speech or a published text that is considered fine speaking with the elegance of language and the praise of someone. Uh, again, Brother, Brother Al, you mentioned this this morning, but you can start in the beginning. You can start from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God, and you can go all the way through to Genesis chapter 20, or Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, where John writes at the very end, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is found as a scarlet thread all the way through the Bible. This benediction, though, that is given, this is high praise. Praise that 
will be unrivaled. And I don't believe that John was allowed to reveal some of the things. Maybe his mind couldn't even comprehend everything that was being said. And here's our application. If you don't have this verse underlined or memorized, I would highly recommend that you do that. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise be to the Almighty. Praise be to the Lamb who is worthy to receive all of this and more. The Lamb was slain. He rose again. Our faith would be of no avail had He died and remained in the tomb like every other God. But because He is alive, we are called to sing His praises now and into eternity. Let's look lastly at the creation of the Lamb. Every creature. This is an all-inclusive term. But just in case there's any doubt, John, make sure that you don't misunderstand. There's no exclusion to the, to the hymn of praise that rings throughout all of creation. It starts with the four living creatures, and then it goes to the 24 elders, it goes to the angels, and then it goes to every creature. Look with me at that hymn, 253. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Are you praising God this morning? If you do not praise Him today, you will praise Him one day. Again, the creation itself groans to be released and every created being will then sing to God the Father and to the Lamb. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that is in the world, they will sing praise to the one who is on the throne, to God the Father and to the Lamb. But what is it that they are singing? Blessing and honor and glory. All words are important in Scripture, but when you find a repetition, it becomes even more pertinent. And these first three words are a repetition of what we have already found in verse 11, or verse 12. These same words are assigned, not just to the Lamb here though, but they are also assigned to God the Father. But there's one additional word. That additional word is the word might, or the word excuse me, or the word dominion. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 11. To him, speaking of Jesus Christ, be the dominion or the might forever and ever. This word simply means dominion and comes from a root word meaning to perfect or to complete. Everything that has taken place in history has certainly come under the watchful eye of the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak of the providence of God. We speak of the sovereignty of God. Whether it was the first sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden, 
Whether it was Adam and Eve who decided that they were going to fall away, they were going to choose the life of rebellion, they were going to choose to believe the lies of Satan like many people in the world do today. Whether it was Noah as he's building the ark and Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and everybody in the entire world is killed but him and his family. We looked at this last week and we know that judgment is coming because of sin. And we must be clothed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here again we find this perfection of this completion. Everything has its place. Everything has its time. And one day time will end. And everything that God intended for this world, there will be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and we will be able to enjoy that for all of eternity. But this time there will be no sin. They keep saying this. This is, this is a continual, repeated action that has taken place. This, this isn't just at the end of a service and all God's people said, Amen. This is a continual. Uh, the word amen here is actually a very remarkable word and it's translated from the Hebrew directly into the Greek of the New Testament and then it was translated into Latin, into English and many other languages and it is actually a universal word. It is probably the best known word in human speech and the word is directly related to the Hebrew word for believe or faithful. Thus, the word amen came to mean sure or truly, an expression of absolute trust and confidence. So when we say amen, it has been used, or it is a reflection of what has been used down through church history when a scripture was read, a sermon was preached, or prayers were offered, and it indicated that what was being said was being agreed with. And thus made the substance, quote, of what was uttered, as though it came from the ones who were listening. When you hear something being said and you see it in God's word and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, the best way that you can respond is, Amen. When we sing a hymn, we get to the end of the hymn. I, I think there's, there are a lot of hymns that we actually sing. Let's see if I can find one real quick here. And at the bottom... At the bottom, there's a, there are a number of hymns that used to do this. I can't find them, but at the end of the hymn, there was actually a, a few notes that were sung, and it was Amen. And you'd get to the end of the hymn, and then you'd sing Amen. Why? Because what is being sung, if it is biblical theology, you and I should be in agreement with it. And then we find, finally, that they fell down they worshipped. Again, these representatives of the entire bride of Christ fall prostrate, prostrate before the Lamb. But what this actually shows, the word means to alight, to alight from their thrones. And this is a continual process that will go on through all of eternity. Every time I believe we see Christ, we will bow in full reverence to Him. And we will worship. The word literally means to kiss the hand like the dog who licks the hand of his master. And the picture here is that just as there is nothing else in focus for the dog, when that dog, if you've got a dog, that dog comes up to you, that dog loves you, that dog wants to be with you and they lick your hand for the attention. 
I believe even more so it will be for us toward our master. We will not be able to get enough of Jesus. It also means to fall upon the knees, to touch the forehead to the ground. Where would we be if we spent more time with our faces to the ground in worship? Our final application this morning. Today you must decide whether you agree with the words of Scripture. It doesn't change whether they're true or not. It just matters whether you will agree with them. You see, as we have said before, there's a little saying, uh, maybe you've seen it on bumper stickers years ago, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, that's, that's not true. You see, God said it, that settles it. Whether you choose to believe it or not, it doesn't change the fact that God is true. His word is true. Our worship is to be dictated by the Most High, not by our whims or by our fancies. And in conclusion this morning, only the Holy Spirit can change the deadness of our hearts. Only He can make us alive by the power of God. For all of eternity, we will be overwhelmed by our worship. And if there is no desire on your part for worship now, then it may be because you have a cold, dead heart. But the good news is, I know the one who brings life. Jesus Christ brings life. He's the one who can waken a dead soul, set their feet on a solid rock, forgive them of all of their sin, not just one or two, all of their sins, take away the guilt of that sin and then promise you from his word that despite who you may have been, despite who you may be today, despite the sin that you may be involved with today in your life, that same Jesus Christ, the one who alone is worthy, the one who was slain, also promises in his word that he's coming back for you personally. No, no other faith, no other belief system offers that. And it's not because of a single thing that you can do. It's because he's already done it for you. Come to him today. Believe in him if you have not believed in him. Trust him because today is the day of salvation. And if you are a true believer this morning, don't let the fact that you can't always see the sun dictate your life. Look to his word and you'll realize that all the sun that you need is shining right here. And he can change your life. Let's pray. Lord, we search within our own hearts and in our minds we wonder why you would ever set your love upon us. But your word says that you set your love upon us from eternity past. Not because of anything that we did, not because of decisions of our own, but simply by your grace and your mercy. And then you turn around and we are called to then proclaim the truth that whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Lord, I pray that if there are any here 
this morning that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Maybe for those who are finding discouragement in their lives or struggling with some form of depression, whatever it may be, Lord, that that you would encourage their hearts as, as only the great physician can and help them to realize that these are but momentary afflictions in the light of what we will see in glory. Thank you for the Apostle John. Thank you for the words that he wrote and, and what he shared to the churches of Asia Minor. Yes, some of them were in a very, very poor condition. Some of them were living outright wickedly. And yet, you didn't end with chapter 2 or chapter 3. You pointed them to the reality of what was coming. The joy of heaven. A, a heaven that has no sin. Where there is no more, there will be no more tears or crying or death or hell to worry about, but just to be forever with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, again for the time of fellowship we are going to have afterwards. And may we be encouraged, may every heart be encouraged by what they have heard today, knowing that it is from your word. We ask this again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of our praise. And all God's people said, Amen.